All this summer, we're actually talking about the, uh, what we think are the indispensable relationships that you need to navigate an increasingly complex world. Uh, and so we're going to go through in the scripture each week uh, different relationships that we think you need. If the world gets more complex, uh, having relationships with all the same kind of people or a matched community uh, isn't helpful to you. And having uh, different kinds of people in your life and being in the, in the lives of other people uh, is actually the thing that we think is going to build us up and move us forward. So today we're going to talk about a guy from the Old Testament named Jethro. Uh, well, that was one of his names. He had a couple of nicknames and things, but that's kind of fun. Before we start there, I was away last week and Aaron kicked this series off, so I appreciate that. He did a, such an awesome job. Uh, I was away for my birthday. I turned 40, so that was kind of a big deal. And so far, the 40s is just a lot of sweating. And uh, I hear that's normal, but uh, so I don't know if it's the heat or not. It's also this sermon I had to wait till I was in my 40s for because of the butt kicker part, right? Because the guy in his 30s would not have used the word butt, right? But now that I'm in my 40s, I'm mature. I would have used the word posterior then to make you think I was smart. I don't know what you were thinking, but um, the uh, but we are gonna. Uh, uh, kind of explore these relationships and these people. And, and it may be that you uh, are called on a particular week to be a Jethro to someone or to find a Jethro for yourself uh, in order to grow and take the next steps forward in your relationship with God and, and just in what God wants to do in your life. So last week Aaron talked about Barnabas, the encourager. And if you miss a week during the summer too, all of these will be online, and they are all independent sermons, so you don't miss anything by being away for a couple weeks if you're camping or if you're going away or, or those kinds of things, which we totally encourage. Uh, camping is a biblical thing, so we want you to have a good time and be able to grow this summer as well. So um, if you know the story, this might be a little bit repeat, or if you've seen the movie, more importantly, uh, this might be a little bit of repeat, but you can't tell the story of Jethro without knowing the story of Moses. Uh, Moses is a big, big character in the Old Testament. A lot of people think he wrote the first five books of the Bible. Uh, and so Moses is this guy uh, who was born uh, in, uh, as a Hebrew person. And the, a Hebrew uh, person in the time of Egypt's domination over the Hebrew people. And the males were supposed to be uh, the male Hebrew babies were supposed to be killed, uh, but Moses' mom uh, hid him for a, as long as she could, and then she put him in, uh, one day when there were some kind of Egyptian princesses down the river, put him in this waterproof wicker basket and kind of floated him towards uh, those princesses who they saw, and they had compassion in their hearts, and they adopted Moses as their own. And so he grew up uh, as a Hebrew person in an Egyptian world or as an Egyptian uh, maybe stepson kind of deal. And then he, so he was well educated and he grew up, but he was always kind of an outsider in his childhood. Uh, growing up with his people were slaves to the Egyptians, but for some reason he wasn't a slave. And the Egyptians were uh, a powerful people, but for some reason he wasn't quite an Egyptian. And so Moses grows up, and one day he's walking through the cities and sees an Egyptian person uh, abusing a Hebrew slave, and Moses takes matters into his own hands and is, uh, loses control, I guess, and kills an Egyptian. Uh, uh, just buries him in the sand and ends up running away 
uh, because of, you know, it's bad news if you're part of the slave people to kill one of the master people. Uh, and Moses was kind of that in-between. And so Moses runs away and he lives in the wilderness or in the desert. He comes upon this well and there's some women there, uh, like some sisters, who were taking care of their flocks uh, for their father. And some shepherds were coming to the same well and started treating them poorly. And Moses comes to their aid. And if you're reading the story through, Moses just got finished killing a guy for abusing someone else. And you think, this is a pattern in Moses' life. And thankfully, he doesn't kill anyone in this situation. But he is a guy that favors those who are uh, vulnerable and chases away those who are abusing them or, or fights against those who are abusing the vulnerable. And so Moses chases these people away. And the daughters, the sisters, are all very thankful for this. They go back and tell their father, uh, who is Jethro. Jethro in the uh, Bible goes by a couple different names. Uh, Reuel is a name that he's called sometimes. He's also called uh, Hedu sometimes in another passage. He's kind of one of those people that's uh, not so famous that he has one nickname, but so famous he has a lot of nicknames, if that makes sense. He's not Air Jordan, uh, but he is kind of a little bit below that, like a Kevin Durant level, except he doesn't keep going to whatever team beats him just so he can get a championship. Still bitter. The <laughs> I'll get over that eventually. Uh, but uh <laughs> And he won, so I look like an idiot. But when... Uh, uh, Jethro uh, hears about what Moses did. He sends his daughters back and is like, go get this man. Like, he needs to stay at our house. We need to feed him. We need to take care of him. And he uh, has so much affection for him, he ends up, Moses ends up marrying one of his daughters and he ends up working for Jethro for like four decades of his life uh, in his fields and those kinds of things. Eventually, God meets with Moses in, in a burning bush and if you've seen the, the cartoon movie, this is the big moment, right? This is like this bush is burning but not burning up. And then uh, Moses speaks to God in the burning bush. And God calls to Moses and says, you're the one who's going to free all of the Hebrew people. And Moses' response is, that sounds like a great idea, but I don't think you know who I am. I'm not capable of that sort of thing. Moses, knowing himself, was always kind of an outsider, never one of his own people, never one of the people that he was raised in, and so he developed, you can read in the scripture, some personality traits that kept him from believing that he could do the things that God called him to do. And so God tells him, this is what you're going to do, and Moses says, I love that idea. Like, that sounds like a great idea, and I would love to tell whoever you think could do that that they can do that, because that's not me. And God presses the action and says, you will be doing this, Moses. And he gives them some partners to go along with them and those kinds of things. But Moses is God's chosen man for the job. Moses goes down to Egypt, goes before Pharaoh, who's a new Pharaoh. The old Pharaoh had died, and there's a new Pharaoh in power. He goes in and demands that he release all of the Hebrews. And uh, obviously, if you're a nation that has another nation as slaves... And one of those slave people who for some reason is free because they live out in the wilderness comes in and says, you should free all of us. The answer is no. Our economy works very well with free labor. And so Moses goes back to God and there's these miraculous signs that happen. 
not just like um, miracles that Moses done, but then there are uh, these miracles that God does where there's uh, like streams of locusts that come in to destroy the place and uh, the cities of Egypt are overwhelmed by frogs and the waters turn to blood and just these incredible things that happen to it where eventually God actually kills the firstborn of every Egyptian. And that's the, in, if you know anybody who's Orthodox, they celebrate Passover every year. And the Passover was the celebration because the Hebrew people did some things to obey God so that the angel of death would pass over their house. It's quite a serious celebration, especially if you're the oldest, like I am. It's something we really appreciate. Uh, but they would, the angel of death would pass over the Hebrew houses, but not over the Egyptian houses. And so the Pharaoh pushes the Hebrew people out, and they leave, and they're leaving, and then he thinks, economically, I just made a really bad choice, let's get all that free labor back, and he sends the army out. And so the Hebrew people are marching across the desert trying to leave Egypt, and they come up to the Red Sea, and they can't get across, and the, the army is chasing them, and they're just a general population, not military trained. Well, God uses Moses to actually part the Red Sea. They walk across, the Bible says they walk across on dry ground. The whole nation of the Hebrews people, the Israelite nation, gets across. Then the army of Pharaoh gets into the middle of the water, and the water covers them, and they win their first military victory with an ambush of salt water. <laughs> the first and the last time that's ever happened. The Hebrew people walk out in the desert, and like anyone who's been rescued from near death from God, two days later they're saying, hey Moses, this is great and everything, we love being free, but there's nothing to eat here. Uh, can we go back? Because at least when we were slaves, we had lots to eat. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you start complaining about things because you forget just a little bit earlier in your life that thing that you're complaining about was a total luxury, right? Like if you grew up with dial-up, and your phone has bad service here in NAMS. I've complained about bad service in NAMS every day of my life. And I used to get on the internet and it went, nah, right? Like I play that noise for my kids and they wonder what's wrong. But there, or, or if you grew up with no internet and you, you people like asked each other questions like, how was your day? And, and now you just get together and say, I saw your Facebook. I'm glad you're doing well. And that's the end of the conversation, right? Like, I know everything there is to know about you. Well, at least the filtered version that you produce for the world. There is a... So Moses has these people that are complaining, and God actually sends something down, this kind of food, which is like a wafer with honey on it. And the people call it, uh, in their language, it was called manna, which means, what is it? Uh, it's like the first and best marketing campaign ever. But they would wake up in the morning and there was just this wafers with honey on it all around the camp and they would go and collect it and eat it. And then they complained, well, this is a little bit vegan and we're not into that. And so they, that's a biblical complaint apparently. God started sending quail in every day and, and there would just be, uh, and God got a little angry and sarcastic with some of this and gave them too much food just to, you know, kind of be like, you guys are being turkeys. I just do you not remember a couple of days ago when I did that. And so each day God was feeding the people miraculously. And then they begin to walk through the desert and they say, there's a lot to eat, but we're out of water. And God actually 
gives them water from a rock. Like not, they don't dig a well, which would be the normal way to get water for a, a no, desert nomadic people. Sorry, I was going to sneeze there. And with this thing on, that's terrible. When they get water out of the rock, they're, now they have everything they could need to start a civilization. Food that's showing up every day, water that's coming out of some rock that's miraculous that God just set up. But then there's the Amalekites come against them because if you're a military power and your country is out there and a new group of people, hundreds of thousands of them, start into the desert and they've got a great supply chain, like food is magically appearing and water is coming out of the rocks, uh, you want to defeat them before they can do any sort of military training and come and defeat you. So the Amalekites come to fight them. And Moses actually wins this battle as well. As long as Moses held his staff up above his head, the Israelites were winning the battle. And Moses' arms got tired, and so they had two guys, <coughs> two guys holding his arms uh, so that he could hold his staff up so the Israelites would win the fight. So there's this miraculous... Uh, providence of God, like God helps them win their first fight and defeat the Amalekites. They go through all of these things as they establish themselves as a people in the desert. And they begin to follow their God in a very real way. When they were in Egypt, they lived in a place and they served their God, but they lived in a place uh, that was very uh, polytheistic and, and had different kinds of gods and gods were part of the natural world so they had like the sun god was in charge because it seemed like the sun was in charge of everything but the water god was important too the god of the river because it would overflow and then uh, water their crops but God their new god or the newly discovered old god had led them from a place to a new place which was very unique for gods uh, gods generally were located in individual places, but this God was moving with their people and giving direction and communicating with Moses and Aaron, their leaders. And so they end up out in the desert, and, uh, and, and this is the book of Exodus, uh, just like it sounds, is the exit of the Hebrew people or the Israelite nation from the nation of Egypt as they defeat the Egyptian army and then they defeat the Amalekite army, and then they're moving into the desert and setting up this roving civilization that has unlimited food, unlimited meat, unlimited water, and surprisingly uh, high military training, apparently, even though they've done no military training, uh, they've been able to defeat two very powerful nations already. And so they begin setting up their camps, they begin getting used to life out there, and things start happening, like uh, people have disputes. This is my tent peg, or this is my tent peg, or uh, I wanted to do this, and they wanted to do this. What's the right choice? And when you don't know what to do, you go to the guy in charge, and that would be Moses. Moses, who also, if you remember, has the personality of, I can't do that. Maybe I can back up and do these things. Like, maybe I, can, I just need to find my niche God's calling me to do this thing, and I can't do it, but he's making me do it. And so he's kind of moving into what God's making him do. And that's when we end up at Exodus chapter 18, which is what we're going to kind of focus on, because Jethro re-enters the story, because Moses, remember, had left and gone down to Egypt uh, to, to free his people. Uh, well, his wife and his sons 
actually stayed uh, with their father uh, and father and grandfather, and then they're reunited in Exodus 18. So it'll be on the screen. I want to read through this. It's a longer story, but it's pretty interesting, I think. So it says, now Jethro, who was the priest of Midian, which would be like a, a Bedouin um, religious leader, not like a priest in the Jewish sense. Um, not very likely. You can find some conservative Bibles that disagree with me, but I've got the mic and they're on the shelf. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, and the father-in-law of Moses, heard everything that God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. And one son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land, because before he was a foreigner in a homeland. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. And Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons, and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they greeted each other, which would be a normal greeting, just in case you're confused. And they greeted each other and then went into the tent, Moses' tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all about the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. And Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. And he said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. This is why I think this is the moment where Jethro is kind of converting. Uh, where he, so he was a priest for whatever gods, and now he's kind of converting to Yahweh God. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron, Moses' friend, uh, came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. And the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw that Moses was doing, what Moses was doing, all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to, seek, uh, come to me to seek God's will. God speaks to me, I speak to them. And whenever they have a, debut, a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties, and I inform them, of God's decrees and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear themselves out. The work is too heavy for you, and you cannot handle it alone. So listen to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them His decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, 
fifties, and tens, and have them serve as judges for the people at all times, and have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. And that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and these people will go home satisfied. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. And he chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they served as judges for all the people, uh, for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. So Moses is leading the people, and Jethro, who believes in Moses more than anyone else, Jethro, who employed Moses for 40 years, who married one of his daughters off to Moses, and so Jethro has a lot riding on Moses being a successful dude. Jethro comes and sees what Moses is doing and gives him a little bit of a kick in the posterior. Jethro is the relationship you need because sometimes you need someone to, in an uplifting, not a diminishing way, push you forwards because they believe, even when you don't believe, that the way forward will open for you. Jethro looks at Moses' situation and sees that Moses has built a great system for remaining exactly where Moses is. I get up, I... I am a judge all day, I go to bed at the end of the day. I get up, I judge things all day, I go to bed at the end of the day, right? Like, there's this system that they would have lived in the wilderness for the rest of Moses' life, and he would have got to the end of his life and said, that was good, I helped the people, I judged for them every day, and then I went to bed, I woke up the next day, I did the same thing, I helped the people. But Jethro saw that God wasn't saving the people out of Egypt to live in the middle of nowhere and eat the same foods for all eternity and drink water from the same rock forever, Jethro saw more in Moses than Moses saw in himself. Jethro saw this guy is the leader and all these people depend on him. And so if Moses says, we go that way, everyone is going to trust that God is speaking to Moses and go that way. And so if Moses is just repeating himself, oh, we've got another dispute about this, another dispute about this, another dispute about this, Moses could be teaching other people the ways that God has said to live and believe and behave. And then those people can judge those things for themselves. And Moses can actually do the things that Moses is really, really good at. I'm going to steal something from a pastor named Steve Stroop. It was a sermon... Uh, I watched online, and during the sermon, he admitted to stealing this from another author. So I think that means I can steal it from him. Uh, but he has this, uh, these four things that we do, and he listed. He's a pastor of a giant church in Texas because everything in Texas is bigger. Uh, but in, he had these four things that we do. We do things that we're bad at, right? Some things you just have to do. You're bad at those things, but you have to do uh, those things. Then we do things that we're good at. Uh, we can um, mediocrely, uh, that's not a word, uh, lousily, but we won't say anything. People are going to be polite, and we can kind of do those things. 
Then we do things that we're great at. Like we do some things and we're like, this, like, this is awesome. I am really good at this thing. Uh, and you know, those are different for everybody. And then we do things that we have a unique ability in. And do you, like, you can do some things better than anyone else in the world. Like, God has chosen you to do those things. And those things are different for everyone. Uh, some people, their unique ability is like leadership of nations. Uh, most of us, that's not the case. Uh, some of us, our unique ability is, seems very, very humble. But it's the thing that you do, not just great, but uniquely you have an ability that other people don't. And most people looking from the outside can differentiate between good and great. Like they can say, you're good at this, you're bad at this, uh, or you're really, really good at this. But they have a difficult time knowing the difference between what you're great at and what you have a unique ability at. Most people would look at your life and say, they're really great at this, this, and this. But they aren't able to tell what you're just really, really great at and what is your unique ability. And the difference, if you're wondering, like, what's the difference? Excuse me. There are uh, some things that you do that you're really great at, but it, it takes a lot of energy. Like, at the end of that thing, you're tired, right? Some of you are great runners, but at the end of the race, you're spent. Others have a unique ability, and you run a race, and then you run back to meet your friends who are half done the race and finish the race with them. And then you go and do the rest of your day and enjoy things. That's a unique ability. Uh, some people at your job are really great at your job, but then they go home and veg out, right? Because it took a lot of energy. Then there are people who are also really great at your job, and it seems like they gain energy from doing that job. Does this make sense? Your unique ability would be the thing that you're great at that you finish and you actually feel like you have more energy than when you began. Like I did this and people called it work and some of you got paid for doing that work but at the end you're like, I don't, I don't feel like I spent any energy. Like I feel like I gained energy from doing this. The Jethro person in your life is the one who's able to identify that unique ability and push you towards that unique ability. Believing for you that you can move into that and God will open the way for that, uh, for that activity in your life. For some of you, you're blessed enough that that's like vocational work. Uh, for others, it's um, a weekend or an evening thing. But you have a unique ability and you maybe even have a hard time knowing what you're great at and what you're uniquely able to do. But a Jethro person in your life is able to look at your life and see more potential in your life than you even see yourself. And so they give you a sometimes hard kick in your posterior and push you into something, but they do it in a way that doesn't diminish who you are. Like, I, if you have kids and they get, or you ever played sports when, when you had coaches, there are some coaches who get a performance out of you by belittling you. And so you go and perform well because of how much you hate the coach. <laughs> it's successful coaching. <laughs> there are other coaches who get an incredible performance out of you because they are able to see more ability in you than you think you have yourself. 
And you're able to perform really, really well because of the coach, not against the coach. One is a Jethro, the other is a diminisher. You don't want to move into your unique ability because someone, uh, you don't want to be the person who moves someone into their unique ability because you've diminished them in their greatness that they move into something uniquely, where they're uniquely able to do it. What you want to do is be able to see that thing and actually speak into a person's life, sometimes aggressively, in such a way that it moves them forward into something that the God opens the way and you see that they are gaining energy by following God's will for their life. Let me uh, tell you a personal story. I had some experiences a couple of years ago in my life when I was struggling and didn't know like what was the next step and I didn't know where to go with some of the things in my life and specifically with leading the church. We were kind of at this transition point and we've, we've started making a lot of changes uh, behind the scenes things and setting ourselves up for growth and some cool things. But I, there was a point in my life where I was like, I have no idea. And one of my main roles is have an idea, <laughs> right? And so I have a guy who mentors me, uh, John Strutz, who lives up in Oregon City. He's a church planter a few years ahead of me. And I emailed him and, and texted him and was like, hey, this is what's going on and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. So we get together and I've shared a little bit about this, that he, he made me journal. And I journal now almost every day. And it is the strangest thing in my life. Uh, but he gets my journal and it was a little uh, like school notebook you buy for 99 cents. And on the front, he wrote my name, and then he wrote, writes, next level journal. And I'm like, next, I can't even handle this level. I do not need next level. But he saw in me and saw in my situation and in my reaching out that it's time for me to get a kick in the butt and go here because we're done with this, and it's time to go here. And I was like, no, 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 we need to figure this out. I was with Moses sitting down, being like, we've got free food, We've got free drinks, water only, uh, but it's free, and, and we can just kind of live in the desert and enjoy things. I just need to figure out how to manage this. And like Jethro, and like my friend John, someone comes along and says, no, 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 no. What you're struggling with is that we're actually going to move forward now. That God is actually calling you, like your frustration and your restlessness and you're feeling like you don't know what to do in this, is part of God calling you out of this into something new. Moving you forward because God is opening the way for you. I would bet in this room there's some of us that are frustrated just with life. And you have those feelings of like, I can do this and I'm good at this, but I don't feel like this is all that God has for me. And you don't know what that next step is. The way to get to that next step is to find yourself a Jethro. To find someone that you trust a lot, who has given you good advice in the past, and kind of give them a permission to shove you, figuratively. Not like you're, not out of a plane before you're ready, you know, but if they see you've got a good parachute on and you know how to handle that, sometimes you need someone to shove you. That's probably illegal though, right? So let's say it's figurative. <laughs> but you just, sometimes you're standing at the gateway to something great and you're not sure it's going to open and you're like, if I take a step forward, am I going to just smack into a, a wall that I don't see? 
and you need someone in your life who can see you might be great at this, but this over here you are uniquely able to do. And I'm going to kind of bump you that way in a way that bumps you upwards and grows you, not in a way that diminishes you. Not in a way that someone says, well, you're great, but all you're doing is great. <laughs> you could be doing better. But someone who's able to see more in you than you're able to see in yourself. And if you're experiencing that frustration, then that would be, like I put next steps in the bulletin, that's a real next step. Like I'm not, sh I'm, I'm here and I'm not sure where God wants me to go, but I feel like there's something next. And maybe there's some people around you you just need to communicate with and say, could you pray for me about this? And maybe could I like sit down and let you say whatever you want to me about this? People that you trust, who have a history of giving you good advice, who are maybe further down the path than you, who seem to be doing things that uh, you would dream of God using you in powerful ways in the same way. On the other hand, you probably have people in your life that you look at and you're like, they have got a ton of potential and they are just not living it. Like they have got the ability to do things and they need someone to tell them that. I was in uh, the summer before ninth grade and my youth pastor brought me to a, a family camp uh, at the time and uh, I was going to run the junior high program. I am one month out of junior high and I think this is a terrible choice but I like terrible choices, and so I went with it. And this is the summer of eighth grade. That's like, this is embarrassing, the 80s, all right? We are not in the 80s anymore. I turned 40, and I remember this like it was yesterday, uh, but my youth pastor said to me, and because we're talking, I'm like, I think this is a bad choice. I don't think I should do this. I think you should do this. I'll do something behind the scenes. And he said, you have more leadership in your pinky finger than most people have in their entire lives, which is probably not that true at the time. Like, I was maybe leading people, but never in a godly way, if that makes sense. <laughs> More in an adventure way. <laughs> like, hey, this seems good. Let's try it, and let's set it on fire. But he saw something in me, and he spoke something into my life that to this day, I believe, uh, I, this sounds arrogant, but I believe I have a ton of leadership in my pinky fingers, <laughs> right? Like, I, I just believe that because someone who knew me very, very well spoke that into me at a time when God was about to move me into something that was really, really, really great. And that youth pastor has stuck with me, and I still communicate with him, and he still says positive things. I see him when I go back uh, to where I grew up, and he still says this is amazing. You're doing amazing. You're, God's going to use you to do great things. And, and I'm like, I think the things are great so far. Let's stay here. And he's like, no, there's, this is going to be great. And there's people who God has given me, Jethro's, who kick me in the butt at just the right time and in just the right way. And there's been people who I've been able to speak that into myself. Uh, and there's been people who've been able to help me and people that I've been able to help. And a lot of times, you won't even know how significant you are when you speak that into someone. We've got a ton of young people in this church, like a truckload of young people. I see, I'm in my 40s now. You thought I was going to say something else. You go up to a young person and say, 
I just see you and I feel like you are a real leader. You don't know that that means something. To You might think you're just the gray-haired person in church that sits behind them or gets uncomfortable because the preacher goes way past when the clock says to stop. But you go up to a young person and say, hey, I just see you as being really kind. Like when I see you around your friends, you're so kind, and I love that. They will seriously remember that for 30, 40 years. At a time when we talk about the 2010s, the way we talk about the 80s, they'll be sharing stories that there was someone who spoke something into me that I didn't even see in myself. Being a Jethro might be the easiest role of all the roles that we have this summer. To be able to look at someone and see potential, the challenge is this, say it out loud. And so your kind of next steps this week are as if you're frustrated and you don't know where to go, find yourself one or two or three Jethros who can pray for you, who can speak into you, ask them for advice. And then on the other hand, when you see people with potential, which I bet you can think of that right now, some of you, if you have kids, like multiple kids, maybe one of them has potential. They're not here now, so we can talk honest, right? I'm kidding. But I think that's a primary responsibility of parenting, is seeing more in your kids than they see in themselves. But it's also a primary responsibility of spiritual maturity, is seeing more in spiritually uh, immature people than they see in themselves. And growing them, by your words, into leaders. And I would, like, I would bet that there are a lot of people here, when I say, who has more potential than they that you see that they don't see, you can think of people right away. And if you don't say it out loud, you are wasting a gift that God has given you. God has given you the ability to see something in someone else. And if Jethro had said, man, that's a junk way to live, and went home, the Israelites would still be in the desert eating the same food and, well, hopefully God would have sent someone else. <laughs> but they, they moved forward because Jethro came in and said what he saw. And he said it in a way that Moses was moved forward and that God used him. Uh, so those are your next steps. They're right in your bulletin, so don't recycle your bulletin. Fold it up, put it in your wallet, put it in your purse. Remember that that, like there's no point in studying these people in the scripture and going home and saying, I know more about the Bible. That's a waste of your time. Well, that's not true. I, that's heresy. That is not the best use of your time. The best use of your time is to actually take action in someone's life this week or this summer, and be a Jethro because they will for remember that forever. Let's pray together, right? Let's stand to pray. God, I want to pray for those of us who are frustrated, who are stalled, who feel like they're not moving forward. And I want to ask that you would bring people into our lives who would say to us, uh, who would get out a journal and write next level on it, who would uh, say to us, sitting around judging the people all day or sitting in the situation you're in is not good. Let's move you into your unique ability. Let's move you forward into the dreams that God has for you. So for those who are frustrated, God, I pray that you would give them Jethro's. I really do pray that. Not, this is not just like a wishy-washy thing. Like I pray that because that will make so much difference in their lives. And then God, I want to ask uh, for those of us who see potential in others, that you would give us the courage and the ability to say it in a way that would build them up, that would not be diminishing, that would allow them to be completely changed in who they are for the rest of their lives because there are people who see things in them that they don't see in themselves. 
May you extend that grace to us, God, in either situation. Give us a Jethro or make us a Jethro in this church when we move into what we are uniquely able to do as a body and as individuals. By your grace we pray. Amen.